WHYY and Billy Penn, it is hitting season. Hey there, podcast pals. I'm John Stolnes from The Good Fight and Billy Penn. You can follow me on Twitter at John Stolnes. Coming up, we're going to recap this quick two-game series between the Phillies and the Blue Jays. The Phillies surprised me with the win on Wednesday night. Didn't think they were going to do it, so I'm in a little bit of a better mood sitting down to do this podcast than I thought I was going to be. So we'll talk a little bit about Bryce Harper's big game, the power stroke coming back, more struggles from Aaron Nola, and Joining me to break it all down and talk about the National League wildcard race a little bit is one of my favorite guests, Ellen Adair. Uh, She's going to be with us here in just a few minutes to talk about all those different kinds of things on the podcast. So lots to get to here on this edition of Hit and Season. Want to remind you first, you can check everything that we are doing out over at BillyPenn.com. We have a landing page there, BillyPenn.com slash Hit and Season. And I want to also encourage you, we've got a brand new dirty inning out from, from Justin and Trev. That's over at our Patreon, and that's behind the paywall. But you know what? That's where you go if you want to support the podcast. And it's at patreon.com slash hit and season. The dirty inning certainly uh, worth $5 a month uh, with the, all the other stuff that we do there as well. So I want to encourage you to, to head out over to our Patreon and uh, sign up there so you can catch that fantastic Phillies podcast as well. I did also want to mention right off the top that... Um, We've had some issues with Apple Podcasts with the with Hit and Season over the course of the last week. We switched over uh, from using Anchor for Spotify uh, to uh, a new system uh, with our partners at WHYY. And uh, somewhere along the line, uh, things got messed up with Apple Podcasts through no fault of our own. Uh, we're on every other pod, uh, every other platform right now: Spotify, Odyssey, iHeart, everything else. We're there, uh, but for whatever reason, um, Apple Podcasts uh, has our podcast on archives setting, apparently. Uh, So we are working to get that fixed. Hopefully by the time you hear this, if you are someone who listens to us on Apple Podcasts, we will be back. Uh, But for those of you who have been looking for us there and are listening to us either through a live stream or through a different podcast platform. Uh, That's the issue, and we're hoping that it gets resolved here very, very soon. All right, let's talk about this Phil's Blue Jays series. And like I mentioned, I really didn't think the Phillies were going to win this particular game here on Wednesday night. Coming into this series, it felt like this was, I will say that earlier in the season, we had seen the Phillies have a run of success and then inexplicably go on a four-game losing streak or a five-game losing streak, lose a series like this to the Blue Jays, who are a good team. They have the same record as the Phillies, essentially. Um, Their offense really is almost a mirror image of the Phillies' offense. They have a lot of big bats in that lineup but have really struggled with runners in scoring position this year, but they also do have good starting pitching. We saw that with Yusei Kikuchi in the game on Tuesday and Kevin Gaussman, the guy, the the pitcher they faced on Wednesday is a Cy Young contender. So the Blue Jays have good starting pitching. The Phillies had their two best pitchers on the mound, at least the folks we came into the season thinking were their two best pitchers in Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola. And so this was a a very evenly matched series. You figured the Blue Jays had the edge because it was in Toronto. The Phillies have really struggled playing north of the border over the last few years. And so this just felt like a four-game losing streak. When you have a couple of those Twins games uh, at, at the end of the homestand and uh, these two games in Toronto. And based off of what happened Tuesday night when the Phillies lost 2-1, to one, uh, the offense continued with its ineptitude. Uh, two runs scored in, uh, in the three games uh, with the last two against uh, the Twins and the first game against the Blue Jays. It, 
It was really hard to watch this offense struggle. Uh, but they came through on Wednesday night. They had good at-bats against Gossman. Uh, the offense, the big boys, came to hit. Uh, had some big hits from Nick Castellanos in this game. And then, of course, the star of the game was Bryce Harper with his two home runs. The first home run tied the game at two. Um, and oh no, give the um, yeah, it tied the game at two uh, in the third inning. And then he hit a, um, a tape measure shot uh, in the ninth inning uh, for the final run of the game uh, in the Phillies nine to four win. But it's just it's great to see Bryce Harper's power stroke coming back. And as we are coming down the stretch here over these last um, eight weeks of the season, six to seven weeks of the season, however, many, however much time is left, I think we're I saw we're about three quarters of the way through the season now. And. The Phillies are in prime position for a wild card spot. They, with it coupled with a Giants loss here on Wednesday, uh, the Phillies are three and a half games up on the third wild card spot. Uh, they are two games up now, two games clear of the Giants. So uh, three and a half up on the the Reds and the Marlins, and they are two games up on the Giants here for that top wildcard spot. So even though they had a little bit of a stumble against the Twins and the Blue Jays, the rest of the National League wildcard contenders uh, continue to fumble around a little bit. The Giants are 3-7 and seven in their last 10 games as their schedule has gotten a whole lot harder. The Reds are 4-6. and six. The Marlins and Cubs are 5-5. Five and five. The Diamondbacks are 4-6. and six. The Padres are 3-7 and seven in their last 10. Thankfully... There has not been a National League wild card contender that has gotten hot. They're all struggling. The Phillies have played the best out of all of those teams. Out of out of the seven teams I just mentioned, Phillies, Giants, Reds, Marlins, uh, Cubs, Diamondbacks, and, and Padres, um, the Phillies have been the most consistent. They have played the best, and that's why they are three and a half games up on a wild card spot, two games up over the Giants for the top wild card spot. And we've talked about how important getting that top wild card spot is. They're going to have to play in this wild card series. I think that's a foregone conclusion. I know it's a foregone conclusion. Nobody's catching the Braves. So you want those games to be at home. You want to be able to get that number two wildcard team, especially the Giants, because you do not want to play in San Francisco in a three-game series in the playoffs. The Phillies have always struggled there. You want to get those games at Citizens Bank Park. Not a guarantee that you're going to win a series when you do that, but your odds, I think, increase dramatically, despite the Phillies going into St. Louis and, and winning those games. I think we see the way St. Louis is playing this year that maybe the Cardinals weren't quite as good as uh, as we thought they might be last year. And so uh, by winning this game on Wednesday, it just it's amazing how much better everyone feels because you have another off day here on Thursday, another opportunity for the team to get some rest uh, before they head to the nation's capital to take on the Washington Nationals who are playing really good baseball right now. With the exception of the series in Philadelphia where they faltered, Washington is playing very, very good baseball. And that's going to be a tricky series down in Washington. The Phillies have their number, but... I could very easily see the Phillies stumbling a little bit here in D.C. with the way the Nats are playing. They are playing very, very good baseball. So it was important to get this win on Wednesday night. And it was important to see the bats do something against good pitching. The Phillies offense was on fire in those series against the Royals. Actually, they hit well against the Marlins, too, in Miami, but especially against the Royals and against the Nationals. And they blew up Dallas Keuchel in the first game against the, the Twins last weekend. And we were all thinking, okay, here, here they go. They're going to put their, their, their foot on the gas. The power has returned. Everybody in the lineup is hitting home runs again. This is great. But what I think what we saw was that the Phillies were really feasting on some lackluster pitching from Kansas City and Washington. And I hope we get more of that pitching this, 
weekend in Washington. But then they had a run of really good pitchers. Uh, the, the two pitchers that they faced uh, against the Twins and uh, these two pitchers here against the Blue Jays. Uh, you had Pablo Lopez, who has been one of the better pitchers in the American League over the last couple of years um, in that first game against the Twins. You had Sonny Gray in the finale on Sunday. Uh, you had Yusei Kikuchi, who absolutely owned them in the game on Tuesday. And then you had Gaussman, who had an ERA just over three coming into the game. The Phillies have have struggled this year against good starting pitching, and it's not enough to say, well, you know, we faced some good starting pitching, so we're going to score two runs in three games. Sometimes your good hitters have to beat the good pitchers. You have to take advantage of mistakes when they come over the plate. You have to take advantage of runners in scoring position. After Tuesday's loss, the Phillies were 0 for 18 with runners in scoring position in those three straight losses. The, the, the top, the, the, the first seven guys in the lineup, um, I think, got one hit on Tuesday. It was, it was Edmundo Sosa and Johan Rojas who provided the offense that one run, uh, thanks to a double and a, a single and a double from those two guys uh, on Tuesday night. Um, and that just, that's a worrisome thing. When you, when you feel like your offense can't do anything against good starting pitching because guess what you're going to face against some of the better opponents in September? as you're fighting for a wildcard spot. Guess what you're going to face when you get into the playoffs? Good pitching. So your good hitters have to do better against good pitching if you want to hold on to this wildcard lead. And it was disappointing that game on Tuesday, but reassuring that they won on Wednesday because the big bats did come around. Nick Castellanos had a huge RBI single with the Phillies down 4-2. to two. Aaron Nola blows, blows a 1-0 lead, and then he blows a 2-2 two -two tie, allows the Blue Jays to answer back in, in, the, in the following half inning in each of the second and the third innings. It was really frustrating. But Nick Castellanos comes up uh, with runners on first and second and two out and smokes a, an RBI double to left, and then the Blue Jays give the Phillies the lead with with a just a brutal error by uh, by the third baseman Santiago Espinal gives the Phillies a five to four lead just hands it to them but give the Phillies credit and give the offense credit for adding on in the next inning you had an uh, an RBI sacrifice fly by Kyle Schwarber an RBI single by Alec Bohm and then uh, in the later innings Jake Cave hits a solo home run and then Bryce Harper hits the second of his two home runs on the season they need those big guys, those big bats to come through. And that RBI double by Castellanos was maybe the biggest hit of the game because we have seen the Phillies fail in those exact types of situations. Those were the situations in which they had failed in their three straight losses with those 0 for 18 with runners in scoring position. But Castellanos got a hanging slider from Gaussman and ripped it to left field for the RBI double. And then the Phillies caught a break. But that's what happens. If if Nick Castellanos doesn't get a hit there, if he strikes out, if he pops up or does something, Bryson Stott doesn't get the chance to hit a, a sharp ground ball to third base that gets thrown past the first baseman. That doesn't happen if Nick Castellanos doesn't keep the line moving. And so drawing from four to two to four to three, you you just you could feel that the Phillies were not going to allow themselves to get buried in this game. And then Aaron Nola from that point on, and he, he pitched a scoreless fifth, and then the bullpen did a fantastic job not allowing the Blue Jays to wiggle free at all, and the offense kept adding on. It was a satisfying win against the Blue Jays on Wednesday. They get the series split, and they do wonders for their position in the wild card rankings and the wild card standings. And to be 11 games over 500 is so much better than nine games over 500. I don't know why there's that mental thing there for me, but it just it felt better 
to win this game and and to know you built up that two game lead again. The Phillies, you know, these National League wildcard teams struggling the way they have. If the Phillies just pick up an extra win here and there over these over these last couple of weeks, all of a sudden you're looking at like a four game lead in the wild card over the second place Giants. You're looking at like a six game cushion over the third wild card spot. And that's what I mean when I say the Phillies are leaving a lot of meat on the bone. They are fortunate in that the rest of the National League wildcard teams have not caught fire. And the Phillies do have the third best record in the National League. So you can't say that they're playing poorly. You can't say that they're playing badly. But they do seem to like to put roadblocks in their way that they have to try and navigate around. They could make things easier on themselves if they could just win an extra game here, win an extra game there, put together a nice winning streak, sweep a couple of series in a row. They could really do some damage and and give themselves more breathing room down the last six weeks of the season. Because what you don't want to have, you really don't want to have to be scraping and clawing if you don't have to. And the Phillies, if if they could just have been a little bit more consistent, could have a little bit more space. That being said, beggars can't be choosers, right? And a two-game lead for the top wildcard spot and a three-and-a-half-game lead uh, over the over the two teams in the third wildcard spot right now is certainly as good a position as we could have hoped for uh, at the, back in May when the team was really struggling and it didn't look like when their playoff odds were down in the low 20%. Um, those playoff odds are now back up in the upper 80% range. Uh, I think at uh, one point last week, uh, Fangraphs had them at near 90%. So that's where you want to be. Um, and it's nice to see the Phillies do that uh, and get that win here on Wednesday night so they can bolster those wildcard chances and and play well. Now, the Aaron Nola situation, again, not, not great. I'm going to talk to Ellen a lot about this because she's a big Aaron Nola supporter. But this is his fourth straight game without a quality start. Again, he couldn't hold a one nothing lead, and he gave up the run. As soon as Bryce Harper hits the two home run to make it a, a tie game, he gives up a two-out, two-strike RBI single to Kevin Biggio uh, in the bottom of the third inning. I do give him a little bit of credit for holding the lead once the Phillies got it back in the fourth, in the fifth inning uh, and, and held it uh, held the 5-4 lead. But overall, the line was not great. Five innings, four hits, four earned runs, seven strikeouts, four walks. His ERA on the season, now 4.58. And I've talked about this before. I think I've talked about it with Justin and Liz. At this very moment, I personally just don't see how he can start a game in the wildcard round of the playoffs. Zach Wheeler's going to get game one. Uh, I probably am starting Michael Lorenzen in game two, and it's not just because of the no-hitter. He did throw eight shutout innings against the Marlins in his first start with the Phillies, but um, going back over his last seven starts, he's got an ERA just over one. So this has been over his last six, seven, eight starts. He's progressed into this pitcher who is dominating hitters at this moment. I have no idea if that will continue. All we can look at is the situation right now. And it's it gives us an assessment and an idea of where Aaron Nola is in the pecking order here in this starting rotation. I think if if I'm if I'm setting up my playoff rotation, I've got Zach Wheeler in game one. I've probably got Michael Lorenzen in game two. Ranger Suarez has not been sharp as attack over the last month or so, but I've probably got him starting a game three. And I'm probably starting Taiwan Walker in a game four over Aaron Nola right now. I I just have to say in my heart of hearts, I trust those four guys more than I trust Aaron Nola right now. We just have not seen dominant Aaron Nola enough this season. He has shown for four or five innings in every start 
that he can be that guy, but then he'll have one or two innings where he's getting knocked around, where he's walking guys, where he's allowing home runs, just way too many home runs for Aaron Nola this year. And I don't know how much of that is luck. I don't know how much of that is in any other year. Maybe the amount of home runs he's giving up lessens. Maybe some of them are warning track balls, but whatever. He's leaving some balls over the middle of the plate. He continues to struggle with runners on base, and it's just a mess. So if it's... It, I don't think that Rob Thompson would skip Arenola in the wild card round. I think he probably would give him have him pitch game two. But I think if you want to give your team the best chance to win, I don't see how Arenola can start a wild card game. Now, the good news is there's still a quarter of the season left. Arenola probably has another seven starts, six or seven starts, maybe eight, but I think six or seven starts. I think, was, I think his was his 24th start of the season this year, so he probably only has like five or six more starts. And right now the Phillies are going with a six-man rotation, which is good. It gives Lorenzen a little bit of extra rest following his no-hitter. Taiwan Walker needs a little bit of extra rest because his velocity was way down in his last start, and his velocity has been inconsistent, and so you'd like to get him straightened out. But... Aaron Nola, if he continues to pitch this way, I just, I don't, I don't think you can start him in a playoff game. I don't know what you do with him at that point, because I also don't think he can come out of the bullpen. You're not going to leave him off the playoff roster, so I don't know what you do. I mean, maybe you have to start him in a playoff game, because what do you do? Do you put him in the bullpen? I, I, don't, I don't think you can, I don't think you can Zach Eflin him. I don't, I don't think that's the way... I don't think Aaron Nola can can work that way. He can't he can't work in pressure situations right now. He he needs to slow the game down. And my concern is that in the playoffs, that's when that's when the intensity picks up. What's he going to do when the intensity picks up in the playoffs and the pitch clock is counting down, and, and he's got to and he's got to deliver the baseball. I don't I don't know if he's I don't know if he's ready for that. Since he can't control the pace, I don't know if he's ready for that. So it's a scary situation, and the Phillies the Phillies really need him to to figure it out because he's just not dependable. He's he's the least dependable member of the rotation outside of Christopher Sanchez right now. One of the guys who is very dependable is Zach Wheeler, back to being an ace. Um, over his last six starts, he has a 2.50 ERA after another outstanding outing uh, against the Blue Jays. He went seven innings, one earned run in the game on Tuesday night. Uh, going back to... July 16th, he has only given up, uh, he has not given up more than three runs in a game. Uh, on July 16th, he went seven innings, gave up three. Uh, his next start, he went seven innings, gave up one. In the start on July 28th, he went six and two-thirds and gave up one earned run. Uh, August 2nd, six innings, two earned runs. August 8th, six innings, three earned runs. And then uh, on Tuesday night, seven innings and one earned run. So again, over his last seven starts, just 11 earned runs allowed in 39 and two-thirds innings for a 2.50 ERA. Zach Wheeler was having some issues with bad luck on batted balls, a lot of softly hit balls, grounders sneaking through, Texas leaguers finding open field out in right, center, left. That has dried up. We kind of knew that was going to happen. And Zach Wheeler... By the end of the season, his numbers in 2023 could look a whole lot like they did in 2020, 2021, and 2022. And maybe we're talking about Zach Wheeler as a top five Cy Young candidate. Uh, if he can go on a blitz here, he will 
open some eyes and, and get himself back into the conversation. And it looks like he is about ready to do that. Uh, also, just a, a quick shout out to Johan Rojas with another diving catch in center field on Wednesday night. He should be starting center field every game for the rest of the season. I realize you're going to give him a break. You're going to give him a blow against some of the tougher right-handed pitchers, but uh, he was in the lineup against Kevin Gossman here on, on Wednesday night and um, made a diving catch that, uh, that saved more trouble for Aaron Nola after it was a, a four to two game. Uh, we need Brandon Marsh to please hurry and get back to the field so that we can move Schwarber back to the DH spot. Uh, the good news is Bryce Harper was back playing first base in the game here on Wednesday night. So the back issues, the back spasms that he was dealing with in the twin series, they have abated enough so that he can play first base, uh, which allows them to get Kyle Schwarber to left field. And Jake Cave was the guy playing left field tonight uh, for the Phillies. Uh, but also would like to see Weston Wilson get back out there, you know, once or twice. And, you know, Wes Wilson is probably going to get sent back to AAA when Brandon Marsh is ready to come back. Christian Pache is also getting close to being ready to come back. So um, the Phillies have an interesting situation with the outfield on their hands. Harper's not going to be able to play first base each and every day. Although the Phillies, I know they say they want to stretch Harper and have him play a little bit more regularly. When Brandon Marsh comes back, it's... I just don't, I don't, I wonder if they're going to platoon and take Rojas's glove out of center field. I don't, I don't think you can. I don't think you can take Rojas's glove out of center field. I think he's got to, I think he's got to play there every day. Even if he's not hitting for you, the, the amount of runs that he saves with his glove is just too valuable. And so then you're having Brandon Marsh. Brandon Marsh should be playing every day in left field. So if you have Marsh in left every day and you have Rojas in center every day, and again, you're going to give guys a break here and there. You probably want to have a guy in Jake Cave who's a lefty. And then you're going to want to have one of the right-handers as your other backup outfielder. Uh, and that's probably going to be Christian Pache over Weston Wilson. Um, Wilson hasn't seen a whole lot of time uh, since his uh, since his debut when he hit the home run and had such a great game in the Lorenzen no-hitter. Um I don't know what the situation is going to be by this weekend. It doesn't sound like Marsh or Pache will be ready for this weekend in Washington. So uh, maybe we will see Weston Wilson uh, out in left field for, for one of those games, two of those games against the Nationals. But uh, the Phillies have an interesting situation going on with some of their young outfielders. It almost seems they have too many right-handed hitting outfielders at the moment. One of those guys is going to have to go to AAA, if not a couple of those guys is going to have to go down uh, to AAA, but I do not think Johan Rojas is going to be one of them. Uh, the way he is able to prevent runs out in center field and just solidify and stabilize the middle of the diamond just gives the Phillies a different dynamic. It's a dynamic they didn't have last year. And Brandon Marsh, certainly when he came over, he improved the defensive situation in center field. But this year, if we're being honest, Marsh wasn't playing a great center field. When they acquired him, it was with the idea that he was going to be the center fielder of the future. But with Rojas there, and again, we need to see Rojas's bat. I don't know that Rojas, if he's going to be like a 150 hitter, you certainly can't put up with that. But so far, Rojas hasn't been that guy. He's He's been somewhat productive at the plate. A lot of small ball from Johan Rojas. And again, he's still a young guy. He just he hasn't even had any AAA at-bats under his belt. So maybe the Phillies don't want to overexpose him. But it's an interesting situation. We'll, we'll see what they do once Marsh and Pache are ready to come back and whether Rojas sticks as the everyday center fielder, whether he goes back to a part-time role and we see Marsh in center field. After all, part of the value of, of trading for Brandon Marsh was the idea that he's going to be your starting center fielder of the future. The fact that he has an OPS well over 800 means you can play him 
in left. But if that offense fades away, suddenly Brandon Marsh in left field is not as enticing an option. But uh, I, th- I like Brandon Marsh's defense in left, I think, a lot better than I like his defense in center. Gives the Phillies more athleticism out in the outfield, especially on the left-hand side of the diamond. A lot of interesting decisions coming up for the Phillies with some of these guys uh, getting ready to come back. And Jose Alvarado looks like he's getting close to coming back. Uh, looked pretty dominant in a rehab outing for AAA here this week. So I would not be at all surprised if he rejoins the team sometime this weekend as well. And joining me to talk about this silly baseball team of ours that we follow is one of my favorite guests that we have on the podcast, and she's a terrifically talented actress, uh, Ellen Adair. Uh, you can follow her on Twitter at Ellen underscore Adair. Uh, very few people know baseball the way she does, and so you can see her sometimes on the MLB network, and she's kind enough to grace our presence every once in a while as well. Ellen, thank you so much again once again for coming on hit and season how are you i'm great i'm so great i love being your podcast pal it's yes. my favorite i love your podcast so much that my is such a nice thing to hear is very excited that i'm going to be on your podcast because she only recently learned about it because she frequently is listening to npr so when oh. i when i was talking to her earlier today uh she was like wait what podcast are you going on later today and i told her and she's like oh i've heard of that and i'm like mom i've been telling you about this podcast for several years it's my favorite phillies podcast well so, it's yeah. Does she live in the Philadelphia area? She does, yeah. Okay, so I wonder if she hears us on WHYY because, yes, you know, we have this deal with, with this partnership with WHYY. I was on Studio 2 the other day uh, in the afternoon talking about the Michael Lorenzen no-hitter, and so um, I, I wonder if I wonder if that's how it came about. That is that is the most flattering thing I have heard in such a long time. I, that is just lovely. That is lovely to think of your mother listening to this podcast. That's just wonderful. Yeah, 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 yeah. That is exactly, yes, she is, she's always, she's a WHYY listener for sure like I, because she didn't neither of my parents have a television I grew up without a television but like NPR is basically turned on in the morning and then off at night when everybody goes to bed so it's just like on all day so yeah what a nice relaxing way to go about your life holy cow that sounds really nice might have to might have to visit vacation at your mom's house some uh, sometime it's, it sounds wonderful good. yeah um Let's talk about this baseball team. And of course, uh, as I, I mentioned this earlier in the podcast, I did not expect the Phillies to win this second game of the series against Kevin Gaussman uh, with the way the offense had been had been hitting. Uh, they really they really had much better at bats uh, against a very, very good pitcher here on Wednesday night. And, you know, I was prepared to come on and kind of be a little fussy. You know, you have like that great homestand, but it kind of sours at the end there a little bit. And then you come into Toronto. I really was expecting this team to drop both games and you have that four game losing streak and it just kind of sucks the wind out of the sails a little bit but they really came they really came to play on Wednesday night and they beat a good team and they beat a good pitcher and that's a really good sign I think I, generally speaking are you riding the roller coaster like the rest of us are, are, you, are you someone who really rides the ups and downs I don't like to be that kind of a fan but when you do a podcast three times a week you really don't have any choice but to react to the most recent thing and so I find myself riding those crests quite often but how do you approach the team how do you approach all of the different ups and downs are you kind of a steady as she goes person (laughs) (laughs) no (laughs) no no I mean my brand is the unhealthy love of baseball which people Mm -hmm. always say well how can love of baseball be unhealthy and I'm like you don't see me when the Phillies lose (laughs) (laughs) so yeah no I mean it's been such a crazy roller coaster year and I mean if if I'm 100% honest I have not been 
riding the roller coaster as much this year. I mean, I think I have. I think it's just been a little bit more of a kiddie coaster than mm. it has been in the past couple of years. And I think a lot of that is because for me, what I really want is for them to feel like they're good baseball players, right? Like I have this identity of the Phillies as like they're my family and I want my family to do well Mm -hmm. rather than I feel like a lot of people are like you're doing this to me and I'm upset (laughs) and I'm not I'm not judging that at all I'm just saying like it's always I'm happy for them or like I'm sad for them and I think because of their postseason success last year obviously the team is not exactly the same but I feel like a certain amount of like no, they know they're good baseball players, mm-hmm. uh, can carry over. And I also think that because of that, even even in even in the sort of more difficult times, like I know that they still carry that with them. Whereas, you know, coming into the postseason last year, they had been so terrible for so long, right? Yeah. So so like the national identity was that the Phillies you know might be good on paper but never actually put it together and then we saw Mm -hmm. them put it together so it's like also I know that it's possible too right you know it's kind of like the Phillies last year I feel like we're in a little bit of the situation that the Padres are this year where it's like why aren't they putting it together look at all of these different pieces you know why why isn't this working exactly but then we saw it work so now we know it can work Yeah. And it seemed like it wasn't going to work through the first two months of the season. And then like they did last year, they caught fire and they've been one of the best teams in baseball since the start of June. And I I still feel like, you know, they they leave a lot of meat on the bone and and there's there 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 have been opportunities for them to really hit the gas and, and really, you know, give themselves some open water between them and the teams behind them in the wild card race. But this wild card race, all these different teams that are now chasing the Phillies, the Phillies are are back in first in the wild card the Giants lost on Wednesday so they've built up that two-game cushion on the Giants again so even after losing three out of their last four they're still in a great spot because the rest of the wild card teams have maybe just as many if not more holes than the Phillies they they lay just as many duds as the Phillies do if not some more than than the Phillies do right now and you know that's not the most satisfying feeling in the world but it's the reality of the situation that this baseball team has the third best record in the National League and I guess do you feel like they've played to their potential? Like, is this their potential? Because you could make the argument that when they got to the postseason last year, they played over their potential and just got ridiculously hot. And again, there's nothing to say they can't do that again. But do you think they're playing as well as we can expect them to play? Or is there another gear? I mean, I think that they're a playoff team. That's who they are. I think that they're that good. So I think, personally, obviously, there's another gear because we saw it last October. And Mm -hmm. granted, look, I'm very biased. The Phillies are my life partner. And (laughs) so I kept saying last year, no, no, this is who these guys actually are. I didn't feel like it was some sort of crazy, you know, 110th percentile outcome. I just felt like, no, no, we always knew that these guys were in there, but now we're we're actually seeing it. It's not everybody playing over their skis. It's just that everybody is good at the same time, mm-hmm. you know, which is hard, which is hard for a baseball team to do. But I think that's different than saying that individual players are overperforming. 
You know, it's interesting because obviously, and I don't have it right in front of me, but in terms of their run differential, the Phillies' run differential is actually not spectacular. And so I think that that causes a lot of people who are national baseball analysts to look at the Phillies and think that they are maybe even overperforming, that their record is yeah. overperforming the talent on the team. But I think everybody who knows the guys on the team looks at the games and is like, no, no, I think they're still underperforming. I mean, that that's my feeling anyway. I just feel like mm-hmm. if you look at the roster, it's a bunch of guys with an OPS from like nearly 700 to nearly 800. I mean, yeah. except, for, um, except for Marsh, who is out. But right. it is so great tonight if we can celebrate that Bryce Harper hit two home runs, mm-hmm, right? It's mm-hmm. so great to see him getting his power stroke back. And I feel like if everybody else can play well and Harper can just, I mean, I know this sounds like, oh, it's so simple. Like, just play your MVP. <laughs> just hit the home form, runs. <laughs> right? But like, there's no MVP on this team. Yeah. It's just that everybody's pretty good. Yeah. And so I feel like if you can have anybody, because I think any of these guys, literally any of them, is capable of stepping up and being a superstar. And we haven't really seen that this year. So I feel like if any one or two guys decides that they want to be a superstar, I think it changes the complexion of the team. Yeah. And like you said, Bryce Harper hits the two home runs here on Wednesday night. Maybe he's getting ready to do that. I mean, and it's not it's not unreasonable to think that the early comeback from the elbow surgery sapped some of his power or it just changed the way he was swinging so that he wasn't elevating the ball quite as much. And I'd said this you know, when it was happening that I thought it was really great that it didn't seem like he ever tried to hit home runs this year. Like he was not trying to force mm-hmm. it. And that's why he was able to continue to be productive. And now here we are in August and the home run stroke is is coming back the power stroke is coming back we've seen castellanos have a few you know have some real hot stretches we've seen schwarber have some hot stretches they're usually followed by some cold stretches but bryce harper is probably the one guy on this team who can carry you for for months at a time which is he's the he's the star you know he's like you said he's the mvp the the braves have a lineup full of superstars the phillies really like you said have have one superstar and then a bunch of really good players who the sum is better the sum of the parts is better than maybe some of the individual pieces um but that's the way this team is is built right now, and and that's the way they're going to have to play things out here over the last couple of months of the season. They've they're they're very deep. They've gotten better. Uh, they some of their young guys are, are playing just really above and beyond what we could have expected uh, with, with Stott and and Bohm and and like you said Marsh before he got hurt. And I'll throw Johan Rojas into the mix, who has Completely. been a revelation defensively in center field and has chipped in with the bat a little bit. I don't I don't think you can take him out of center field the rest of this year. He's been too valuable defensively. I I agree. I mean, I am such a Johan Rojas fan. Me too. I love him. I love him so much. <laughs> yeah, he's so much fun. <sighs> so I actually have some excellent Johan Rojas stats from uh, Sports Info Solutions, which is the creator. I've seen of these. Hit them. Hit me with them. Yes. All right. Yes. Well, you know, many people know, uh, many nerds know, maybe I should specify, uh, that he led all minor, minor league center fielders in defensive runs saved when he came up with 16. But since his debut on July 15th, he leads all major league center fielders in that time. Mm. So, yeah, I, mm. I want him in center field every single day. Like, have I completely gone from thinking that he was brought up as trade ship showcase from being like 
trade Johan yeah. Rojas over my dead body. Yes, I have completely <laughs> gone 180 yeah. on that. You know, I mean, I feel like the Lorenzen no-hitter was Lorenzen, of course, but it was also the Rojas no-hitter. You know, there were so many things to talk about in that game that not enough people, I mean, you did, obviously, because you're you, but not <laughs> enough people talked about the fact that he had nine putouts, you know, mm-hmm. which is the most for an outfielder in a no-hitter since I think it was like 1900. So, yeah, I, I feel like for me, there's always going to be a little asterisk that like, you know, that's the that's the Rojas mm-hmm. no-hitter. You that's know, a third of the outs for crying out loud. It's a third of the outs. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations. You can do math. Yeah, so, thank you. I mean, for me, uh, I mean, I actually mean that genuinely. I'm bad at math. Um, I, <laughs> that's okay. I, do I think that it's worth it to have Rojas out there no matter what he does at the plate? I do. Mm-hmm. I think not everybody would because I do think, and, and like, I want him in center field every single day for the rest of my life, uh, basically. But I think that that what he's shown so far is not necessarily who he is as a hitter. I do think that we need to keep in mind that he is an incredibly talented young man who was brought up from double A. So what he's been able to do is amazing. So I have a few other Johan Rojas stats. Please. Um, Yes, which is just just sort of like tempering our offensive expectations because his 303 batting average is inflated by a 422 BABIP uh, batting average on balls in play. And he's so fast that a higher BABIP makes sense, but his BABIP hasn't been that high in the minors. And I mean, look, like nobody's true talent BABIP is 422. So he might be like a 320 BABIP, even a 330 BABIP guy, true talent. But looking at his minor league numbers, like 422, no. And you can also see that reflected in his expected batting average, uh, which is based on quality of contact. It's 220. Yeah, it's not great. Yeah. And his expected WOBA is almost 100 points lower than his actual WOBA. And like, we love his home run. It was a joyful moment, (laughs) but it was off of Jordan Luplo. So I feel like that inflates the slugging percentage that we see in this small sample size. And, you know, his his walk rate could use some improvement. But like, Mm -hmm. he's 23. I'm not complaining about any of these things. Like, he came here from double A. And so he could still really develop. But I don't think it's just sort of like, oh, yeah, like, look at this guy. He's a complete defensive wizard. And also, he's hitting 300. So plug and play from here on out right he's going to sit against some really tough right-handers I think but I think he's going to play the majority of the games out in center field even when Brandon Marsh comes back and um, it sounds like Bryce Harper is going to get stretched a little bit and play more defense at first base it was his first game back uh, here on Wednesday night since he tweaked the back or had the back spasms in the series against uh, the twins so that was good to see and um, Kyle Schwarber again had a kind of a a rough play in left field in the game on Tuesday night tough play but uh, a tougher play for him he's just not a great defensive center left fielder out there. So the, the sooner you can get kind of Brandon Marsh in left and Rojas in center, Harper at first, Schorber at the DH spot, you're, you're just a much better defense. And we're seeing the value of run prevention. It's not always about 
run production, sometimes run prevention, especially when it's elite run prevention. Uh, you can you can live with somebody who's hitting number nine and, and and may not giving you a whole lot offensively if he's giving you elite run prevention. And so the Phillies don't have a whole lot of guys like that uh, on this team, and they haven't for a few years. Uh, Rojas is definitely one of those guys. I did want to talk to you about Aaron Nola. You are maybe mm. the biggest Aaron Nola supporter I know. You always have been. And for the majority of Nola's career, I, I have been with you, and I think he's gotten a bad rap throughout the years from fans who are expecting way more from him than than anyone should. He has been awesome during his Phillies career, but it's obvious that he struggled here in, in 2023. He had another rough outing here in the game on Wednesday night. It was his fourth straight game without a quality start. That's the longest he's gone since the end of the 2021 season. His ERA is now up to 4.58, four walks in five innings here in this game on Wednesday yeah. night. And, and that's what we've seen from him, a lower strikeout rate, a higher walk rate, leaving more pitches over the middle of the plate. What do you think his biggest problem has been? And have you passed the point where you think that he's going to turn it around and, and we're going to see the Aranola that we've seen in the past? Oh, that's really tough. Yeah, there was certainly a point as I was watching the game this evening when I was like, oh, no. Because for me, I always say I can handle either Aaron Nola not being great or the Phillies losing. But when both of those things happen, it's really hard. Yeah. And I was just sitting here and thinking, and what I have never considered before is the third option that both of those things happen. And then I have to go on a podcast <laughs> um, and talk about it. <laughs> You're welcome. Like, this is going to be the lowest of the low. But fortunately, you know, only only one of those two things happened. And like, yes. he wasn't terrible. He just wasn't. Yeah. He wasn't great. He was not. He was not shelled. Mm -hmm. But I mean, like diagnosing the symptoms, we saw it tonight. The problem is just home runs, obviously. You mm -hmm. know, it's it's been a staggering 1.58 home runs per nine. And, you know, it's really interesting because looking at the underlying numbers, you know, obviously looking at what has all season been a very optimistic expected ERA for Aaron Nola, you can also see that his expected FIP is 370. Mm -hmm. And his regular FIP is 422. And basically what expected FIP does is it regularizes home run to fly ball rate to sort of the league average. So you can see just in that gap, like that's that's the home run problem right there. But it's not that only that, of course, it's also that his left on base rate is almost seven percentage points lower than the MLB average. Yeah. And like what's What's interesting and the reason that I bring up these nerdy numbers is not, I mean, number one, I love them, obviously, but these are factors that analysts typically, typically consider to be luck, right? So is mm. your home run to fly ball rate 3% worse than major league average? Is your left on base rate 7% worse? Both of these things are true for Aaron Nola. Like you've been unlucky is what a lot of people would say. And you know, maybe that's all that there is, but unfortunately, I don't really think so. And I, I think this is also obvious, but the issue is that Nola has always struggled with men on base. Mm -hmm. I remember when we found out about the disengagements rule, looking up, I was like, I have a sinking feeling in my stomach who the leader here might be, but uh, <laughs> the person who led in throwovers per batter um, in the NL was Nola, interestingly followed by Zach Gallen, uh, my favorite yeah. Phillies 
pitcher, um, player in general, actually. And obviously Gallon's done fine. But I think Nola knows that he is slow to the plate. And so it helped him to know that he could throw over as many times as he wanted to try to control the running game. So I think that that is part of it. I think it's not just the pitch clock. I think it's also the disengagements rule. And there was the game where he got called out for, you know, throwing balls out, saying that he didn't like that ball yeah. in an effort to give that. himself a little bit more time. And, like, it's it's just tough because I, I think, obviously, the, the sped-up tempo of the game has affected him mentally. And I don't think it's a matter of just saying, look, all these other pitchers have adjusted to it. Why hasn't Nola adjusted to it? Because that's assuming that everyone has the same mental process and everyone has the same mental tempo, but they don't. And, you know, frankly, also my view is actually, I think the pitch clock is affecting everybody. If you're looking at the whole national picture, every pitcher has real clunkers now in this year with the pitch clock. Yeah, they do. Like mm-hmm. baseball is such a mental game. And I think every pitcher has been vulnerable at some point to a blow up inning. And suddenly you're like, you know, what, who, whoever it is that you think is excellent. Zach Gallon is, of course, the person who comes. I'm like, what? Zach Gallon? Like five runs? Zach Gallon? Like what happened? Yeah. Sandy Alcantara uh, early in the season was really oh was having a whole, a whole bunch of trouble. Yeah, well, I mean, that that was its whole own mystery. That wasn't just like, you know, one random seven-run yeah. Shohei right. Otani versus True the A's start or something. But yeah. And I mean, I think also for Nola, it's so much about command and about finesse, not about being a sort of grip it and rip it type of pitcher that you can see, you know, the more that that's what you rely on, the more you might actually need more mental time to think about what you're going to do. And I think, honestly, in his arsenal, that's what we've seen, you know, the fastball command has been the issue I think that's certainly what we saw tonight like he he got he got punished on on it was both four seamers and two seamers and I think that that has been the case so yeah I mean so yes you've done a great job outlining all of the different factors and things that are going wrong with Aranola the I guess the question kind of moving forward is and we can kind of make this one of our you know our last question maybe our last thing to kind of discuss is the playoffs the it certainly seems like the Phillies are are heading towards a, a wild card of some kind didn't want to put the card before the horse but I think it's a, it's a reasonable assumption that the Phillies will be playing a wild card series and you're going to get 3 games at the moment is Aaron Nola starting one of those three games for you in a wild card round? He is for me, but that's the nature of my loyalty, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I I just, I also think it's, obviously that's not how he's performed, but I just still think that he has the second most talent on this team. I will concede that the way that he's performed this year, there's a sizable gap between Wheeler and Nola at the moment. But, you know, I think that, that the third pitcher that I probably pick right now is Michael Lorenzen. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, not only yeah. did he just throw a no hitter, I know it's like four walks and five Ks and it's against the Nats, but like, it's still a no hitter. That's a no hitter. We're taking but, it. And he's having a good season he in is. general. Um, but I, I just, you know, despite these last two excellent starts, I just think that Nola's a more talented pitcher, you know, for Lorenzen, his strikeout rate is below average and his ground ball rate is about average. So it doesn't make up for having a below average strikeout rate. So yeah, that's my very unpopular opinion that I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of flack for. But yeah, I mean, let this be my personal standing ovation for Aaron Nola. I believe in you, Aaron, you can do it. Well, Um, there you go. 
Yeah, I just did, did, did one say one more thing. Like, you know, his curveball is still excellent. His changeup has actually been better than it was last year. You know, like he's figured out how to how to actually get like swing and miss with his cutter. So I don't think that there's something mechanically wrong, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's that's what's tough because it's sort of like, well, at any point it could just be a lot better. But also the thing that we're depending on changing is is like being able to make that mental adjustment, which is which is really, really hard because it's kind of like the more that you know you need to make a mental adjustment, the harder it becomes to make one. Yeah. And it's it, for him, like you said, it's it's the fastball command. And especially when he's pitching from the stretch and, and he's not able to slow things down, um, you know, it, it might be something that takes him a, a full year to kind of get under under control. But uh, there, he, I, I do agree with you. I think he is the second most talented pitcher in this in this rotation. And he still has a month and a half to turn things around. It's the, I think most Phillies fans have don't just don't trust him anymore in in a big spot. I he's he's lost my trust in, in a big spot be, because he hasn't been able to um, to pitch well and protect leads against doesn't matter good teams bad teams. He's just kind of had these ups and downs. But there there is the possibility that he can go out there any night and pitch eight shutout innings. Like he he has that kind of ability. We've seen that in him before. And certainly I know Phillies fans are frustrated and annoyed with Aaron Nola, but if this this team's going to go anywhere in the playoffs. They really do need Aaron Nola to figure it out, or at least to to pitch yeah. like a competent middle of the rotation starter, someone that you would feel pretty good about throwing in an all in a not in a, in a not an all star game, a playoff game uh, in October. They really need that. I mean, that that has to be one of the things that happens. Either that or. Ranger Suarez or or Taiwan Walker have to become lights out at the, from from this point on. So it's it's definitely it's it's an uncomfortable situation with Aaron Nola right now. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately it is. And, you know, I think I'm not frustrated and annoyed. I'm just sad. <laughs> but yeah. I think that's partly because I'm like, I know I would be exactly the same. Like I'm I'm the yeah. kind of person who when I when I'm under some kind of time constraint, I just I just go crazy. Like I'm yeah. not able to put my thoughts together. So I say it with complete sympathy and um, you know, ultimate understanding of the of the thing that's going on because I feel like I wouldn't be exactly the same. <laughs> I mean in the in the scenario in which I have incredible pitching talent, <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, yeah. no kidding, no kid. So in thirty seconds, uh, tell me who's going to the play. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't want to make it as you said about the time constraint. Um, but definitely, last thing before I let you go. So tell me who you think will join the Phillies. I assume you know you and I both are going to be homers, and we're going to and the Phillies have a like I said a three and a half game lead over uh, the Reds and the Marlins right now for that third and final wild card spot. But you have the Phillies, you have the Giants. The Reds, the Marlins, the Cubs, and let's say the Diamondbacks as well. Six teams fighting for, for for three spots. Who, with the Phillies, do you think will be the other two wildcard teams, Ellen? Well, I think at this point it's obviously going to be the Giants, which is so annoying. Um, but uh, but just it is. It's, yes, that's what I, it's I agree. Be. Yeah. And like I, I so deeply want it to be the Diamondbacks, but I just kind of don't think that that's... I just don't think that's going to happen, unfortunately. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't know. It, it, for a while, it seemed like it was probably going to be the Cubs, but you know, they've they've sort of swooned a little bit. I mean, as you sort of discussed to open up our conversation, I'm so grateful to the other wild card teams to 
uh, for for also <laughs> kind of just being up and down. Yeah. Um, you know, also having series that are kind of like this uh, this particular Philly series uh, with Toronto, where I was like, it, it was the Phillies of times, and it was the Phillies of times. That's right. Definitely That's right. What these two games are, I. You know, there's some part of me that still like has such a hard time counting out the Padres. But I'm going to say I'm going to say the Reds because okay. that would make me the second most happy after the Diamondbacks. Um if if it's not the Padres, I guess I should say. So I'm going to say Giants and you know what I'm going to say? I'm going to throw the Marlins in that third wild card Great. spot. They they just yeah, they they just seem like a like a little bit of a stinker this year. You know what I mean? Like just a pain in the rear end. They've got great pitching. They can't hit, but you know, if Jorge Soler gets hot, you know, and, and Arias is a phenomenal hitter, that that team can can win some games and they don't have to win a ton of games. I I'm going to take Miami at this moment right now to be that third wild card team after the after the Giants and the Phillies. It's a great um, choice. Yeah, you you can't go wrong. It's like, you know, they're all, they're, they're really all, they all are like the same team. You know, they've all got the same record. They all win and lose the same. They all have the same kind of problems. And, um, it's just kind well, of where we are. The Reds don't really have pitching. Obviously, no, Andrew right. Abbott has been great. And I mean, I think for, you know, it, it's, it's also a, a situation of like, they, they have at least the cavalry coming slightly, um, mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, Hunter Green coming back and, and Nick Lodolo. And so I think that will help their complete lack of pitching. Yeah. Um, and obviously Miami, it's just sort of the opposite, uh, the opposite problem. Yeah. But yeah, yeah it's funny. It's like, you know, Jack Spratt and his wife, if anybody's familiar with <laughs> I know the reference. Absolutely. Thanks. Yeah. My dad's a folklorist. So sometimes I throw out, you know, like old nursery rhymes and stuff like that. And people are like, that's not remotely part of my context. Oh, we've been, we've been reading my boys nursery rhymes since they were little. So they know, they know them all. It's, it's great. We've got a whole big mother goose book, uh, and downstairs in the library. So, um, Listen, everybody listen to Ellen Adair. She knows what she's talking about. You can uh, check out her website, ellenadair.com. You can check out her Twitter at Ellen underscore Adair and uh, be keeping an eye on the MLB Network for when she's on there. And Ellen, are there any podcasts you're doing regularly that you want to tell people about? Well, uh, you know, there's... A, a sort of technical snafu has happened with my regular podcast, um, but we are going to be moving over to Pitcher List pretty soon. But uh, yes, so if anybody would like to hear the sob story of why we've not been able to release a podcast for a while, I am happy to tell them. But that's, <laughs> I'm I'm not ready to blast anybody uh, on another podcast right now. Um, in terms of just a couple of other things that I would quickly like to promote, I yeah. just started a TikTok. I'm at Ellen.Adair. So if you're on TikTok, please find me. And uh, also, I have a movie coming out that I am actually allowed to talk about because we have an interim agreement saying that, yes, we're allowed to talk about it, um, called Heard. And it is actually going to be, the world premiere is going to be next week in London, um, but I think it will be uh, in theaters in the U.S. in October. Okay. And it is called Heard, so you can look out for that. Fantastic. Well, and that'll be on all of your social medias. So you follow Ellen on all the social medias. Uh, we just There's laid them all out so for you. There's so many of them now. There's so many. Gosh, I, I, every time I do many. a podcast, like, I got to get it on this one. I got to get it on this one. I got to get it on this one. That's just the way of the world right now. Ellen, it is always wonderful and a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for coming on Hitting Season again. I really appreciate it. You're the best, John. No, you're the best. 
All right, that is going to do it for this edition of Hit and Season. Again, a reminder, folks, that we are at BillyPen.com. Hit our landing page up, BillyPen.com slash Hit and Season. That's where uh, Justin and I uh, do some writing to accompany these podcasts. So you can find all of our podcasts, all of our information, everything there. Uh, and again, a reminder to check out the Hit and Season Patreon. Go to Patreon.com slash Hit and Season to see all of the extra Phillies podcasts we have going on there. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time right here on Hidden Season. Season.